0: In our culture, we learn through stories. But what if the stories we hear don't match the reality of life? What if the stories we hear every day that tell us how to write the narrative of our lives actually lead us to a false narrative? My name is Tim Kroll, and on this podcast, you will hear real stories. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Real people sharing the hard times, the bends in the roads along life's journey. If you're ready to join a community of other real people who are writing the narrative of their lives, then go to narrative.live and join the community. Now let's dive into today's show. All right, welcome back once again. We have another story. (laughs) I say that every time, but this is what makes our lives. This is what really truly gets us together because we have the ability to be able to talk about some of the things in the past and some of the things that we're currently doing today. Drew is with me. Frankly, Drew, we've just met and we've already talked what, two, three, four times or so and just on different topics. And I, I feel like we're really truly kind of running the parallel lines. And I absolutely love that. And that's why I wanted you to get on here because you've got a lot of good value. I'm not going to steal any of your thunder, but in order to get started, first of all, first of all, thank you for being here. Thank you for taking time out of your day. Greatly, greatly appreciate that. But jumping in here, 30 seconds, we just meet in the elevator. Who is Drew? I am who I am. Uh, Who you see is who you get, man.
1: It's uh, authentic. So Tim, it's it's a pleasure to meet you, Drew, father of three. And, uh, and not only could die for my kids, I live for my kids.
0: Well, and we were actually talking in the green room right prior to that. So I love the fact you said authenticity because oftentimes when we're, and so if you listen to this on the podcast, you might have to switch over and go look at YouTube because we'll post a video there. But a lot of people blur their back screens and you said, okay, look, I'm going to just leave it. It's like, this is who I am, man. I'm just going to leave it. We're just going to rock <laughs> and roll. And I actually appreciate that. I, I really do. Cause it, it shows a lot of like, Hey, you get me? This is where I'm at. This is just, just who we are. So, yep. all right. Uh, getting back on track. That was my little rabbit rabbit hole. We're going <laughs> to dive down for a minute. <laughs> love, I love I being in the rabbit hole just for a little time. Just don't exactly. it. That's exactly, exactly, exactly. So, okay. So, getting started. What were mm-hmm. the narratives that you had growing up that you said, man, this is how I'm going to live my life. This is how we're going to. And again, it could have been something that was Exemplified for you, you saw how your parents lived, and you Mm -hmm. you said, "Like I'm just going to automatically do that," or something that somebody said that really impacted you. But uh, we often talk about this from the aspect of what were the false narratives that you believed life was going to be like when you became an adult.
1: Absolutely, I mean, I you know
0: just by really diving into
1: this types of stuff recently, learning how our belief systems are formed at a a young age. I mean, I honestly, I mean, my parents married over fifty years. Honestly, I don't recall them yelling at each other. They communicated very well. I do recall, you know, dad traveled a lot during a week, Central America. He worked for IBM. So during the week, my mother like kind of like raised us. And, you know, it, it's interesting because I would like be outside and come back with like, you know, a cut on my knee and, oh, what were you doing? I was climbing a tree. Don't climb <laughs> a tree, you know, and she meant meant it all well. But when a woman is raising a boy, it's not it's the same as a boy, a man raising a boy. It just isn't because, you know, we are who we are. And so we weren't, so I, I never had a skateboard. We weren't allowed to have guns in the house, even water guns. Mm. I mean, like water guns. And I also learned that, you know, there was a reason why that happened with my, you know, that my mother didn't allow that is because there was a story in her generations back of you know, her 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 mother's brother's cousin or something accidentally shot mm. himself with a gun that was in the closet of a convenience store because they immigrated from the middle east and so it would be nice to have to know that story as to that was yeah. the why so uh you know uh, we, we were told you know don't do this do this and i loved my parents and respected them and i looked up to them and and i for the most part did what they said i mean there were times i would try to you know stretch it a little and (laughs) don't we all though kind of we do do. well i was never able to lie and get and not feel guilt it was the weirdest thing but but i'd say growing up it was like you know if you do the right thing whatever the right thing is passed down by generations you you go to school you know you could go from high school you go to college and then you graduate you go to graduate school you get married you know you have kids and and rinse and repeat and yeah, you know, I kind of was taught that life was linear. Like, if you do it this way, things are going to be fine. And and that, you know, was really a myth. And it's not really malicious on anybody's part. It's what we're all taught. Yeah. Generations and generations and generations. You do the right thing and everything will work out. Well, it doesn't work out that way. And sometimes the right thing is always the right thing. And even if the result doesn't work out, you don't change. The right thing. Not, not doing the right thing. You don't chase results, but I, I chased results as as a kid. If I would do something the right way and it didn't work, I try to buck the system or or at least find out why people are telling me that. So
0: so how would you how how would you sum that up? Like if you were saying, okay, look, I if I look and and this is obviously we're hindsight, we're looking back on it, but but how would you sum that up as a, what you would set as a the way that you were going to live your life? How would you sum that up as a narrative? I
1: learned not to take risks. I learned to do the safe thing. And and that was not beneficial when I got older. So my my narrative growing up was just be conservative, be cautious, don't don't take risks, be careful, that kind of thing. And I did that and for the most part it worked until it
0: didn't. Well, yeah. So was that primarily? It sounds like it was actually influenced by several things. And you mentioned that your mother had certain rules and regulations and ways of living that were passed down, like you just said, just because of other past experiences, mm-hmm. which you didn't. Right. right. When you said you didn't have a why, man, that, that like hit me because I, I always, anytime somebody gives me a rule, it's like, I want, why? Why are we doing that? And it sounds like you didn't mm-hmm. necessarily always have mm-hmm. the whys. But as you look at that, what would you say the primary influence was for creating or crafting was it an example was it because of the way you were raised was it where where did that come from
1: Well you know it 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 seemed to work for my parents I mean I I saw how close they were I was close with my sisters so I always like wanted what they had the intact family and 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 you know to kind of marry somebody similar to my mom and try to be similar to my dad but the thing is i tried to recreate what they had and that can't be done there were many times where i wanted to do something different and i chose not to because i saw it worked for mom and dad you know and so that's really where i learned it by Mm. example it worked for them so it should work for drew and that's kind of how i played until it stopped Mm. working
0: yeah so how long did you live that way then? And, and this is obviously, we're going to transition a little bit into some of the changes and the adjustments. And like you just said, I, I kind of sense that there's a story coming. It worked until it didn't. And I'm sure that there's a story <laughs> coming with that. Yeah. <laughs> but like, how, how did that transition into, because obviously going through high school, going through college, then entering the early adult life, like yeah. kind of walk us through some of that. Well,
1: I mean, when I when I went off to college, I
0: you know there was I wanted to go to so I live in Jersey. I wanted to
1: go to school at Duke University in North Carolina. That was my way of getting mm. away, so I could be independent, so I could do what I wanted to do without thinking, "What would mom say? What would dad say?" Kind of thing. And I did not get into that school. The ones that I got into, probably the furthest away was probably three hours. And then part of me was saying, "That's too far away." So I, I ended up going to school at Fairfield University in Connecticut, hour and a half away. Mm. It was just enough to be away and still able to come home when I wanted to. But when I was up there, I I did test myself. Mm. I tested, you know, I had fun. There were times where, you know, when you're talking about, you know, I was always told, don't don't do drugs, you know, so the marijuana thing, right? I remember having so many opportunities and like saying, no, I'm not going to do it. It's not the right thing. And I didn't until years later Mm. but but college helped me break out a little bit and I still you know I I remember doing a lot of child stuff you know practical jokes all that it was fun I do remember though when I graduated college I did stay for two more years and I worked full-time up there but once I went to the workforce into the hospital because I worked in the healthcare for 24 years the minute I took that full-time job at the first hospital Something changed. Mm. I don't know if it was me saying, okay, now I'm an adult. This is the real world. Take it seriously. I took my t- myself too seriously. I took life too seriously. Wow. And I let, I let the inner child in me just, I kept telling them to be quiet. Mm. And that hurt me. It wasn't my authentic self. Mm. And that's, I didn't realize it at the time. I guess I at the time, I didn't really I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin, but I didn't know that. Mm. I know now I didn't because you're able to look back and compare. But I would say, when I went off to college, it helped me break out, but then I let myself go right back into it.
0: So in college, was that, it sounded like it was kind of a mix of, all right, look, I, I know I need to do the right thing, but yet I also want to experience a little bit more and kind of break out a little bit from what I felt like, I'm assuming, so I'm putting this on, so please forgive me, but it, it was more along the lines of, I, I needed to just kind of break out of my shell a little bit and stretch those boundaries that I had been living in. What did that do internally? How did that impact your confidence, and how did that like affect the way that you saw yourself? Yeah, no, it's a good, that's a good question because I
1: I know that I was always sheltered by mom and dad because they were you know worried something bad would happen you know so when you're when you're overprotected and you're sheltered you don't get to experience some things so it felt good to experience that stuff I didn't in a way I guess maybe a little bit resentment on my, my mom and dad for not allowing me to uh, stretch you know. Spread my wings because a lot of the people up there got to do stuff I never got to do, you know? And it's not bad stuff. I mean, I never skied in my life because I never I was given an given opportunity. People did mm. because they're out there. So so always a little bit of resentment. Yeah. Not their fault. I also didn't have the tools cognitively to really process that in a better way. Huh. You know, I realize now they were trying to do their best as a parent. Yeah. Back then, I'm thinking, why wouldn't you let me do that? you know, just cause it didn't work for them, you know, that kind of thing. So some resentment, right. but, but honestly it, it was good. It was good. I, I, I do wish I didn't revert though. When I went back, went to the, the work life. I mean,
0: well, let's jump into that. I mean, we, you, so you stretched, you started having a little bit more of a good experience and all of a sudden you hit work life and then something must have clicked mm. where it's like, okay, I have to act this way. I have to do this thing. I have to, what you are calling is doing the right thing. Having your initial job be a, in a hospital, a teaching hospital,
1: um, it's, it is serious there. A lot of stuff is life and death. Now, even though I wasn't a clinical person, I did work with many caregivers, you know, the doctors and the nurses who who touched the patient, you know? So I liked, I'm like, this is serious business. Uh, you know, when I worked in the operating room, patients on the table, Drew, I need this. It's life. It is really life and death. So I learned, like almost to take everything that, seriously, which I wasn't able to differentiate, but that was, you know, when you work in a hospital setting, especially in the operating room, it is serious business and you can't mess around. Yeah. I guess the the challenge was to be able to let my hair down (laughs) in,
0: in, in less serious situations. But so was that, so you felt the impact. I mean, obviously, like you said, it's life and death. And so therefore you had the stakes of the game were much, much higher. And with the stakes being so much higher in college, probably not, not feeling that way, but uh, stepping into that quote unquote, real world or into the business world. And all of a sudden the stakes are now astronomical and and you've got tons of responsibility. So you revert back to what you said as far as doing the right thing. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, but you know, I also had high, high aspirations. You figure I'm 20, 23, 24 years old. And Mm. immediately I'm in these high powered meetings in the boardroom with like the president and the chief operating officer and all this. And they're taking me seriously. And then I'm thinking, Oh wow, I I want to prove myself even more. So it's like you almost put on a mask to, to be who you're not because I didn't have the experience. Mm. I had a lot of knowledge because I was reading and learning and asking questions. So, like, you know, there's that 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 push and pull. Yeah. When you don't have the experience and you have a lot of knowledge, it's the experience that helps you catapult forward and take risks. So I didn't really take. My, many risks early on in my career, but I wanted to be that COO five years from then. So I, I had to look like I, you know, and sometimes it could come across as cocky, you know, because at that time, you mm-hmm. know, you have a mask on, you know, the experience, it is kind of cocky because you don't have, you have nothing to back it. You know, later on in my career, when I was doing it for 20 some odd years, right, I had the experience and the confidence and I was able to be more assertive than than aggressive. So it was a transition early on, you know, you want to be bigger than you are.
0: Yeah. But it's interesting to, to kind of look back and then the the impact of the, the belief mm-hmm. of you do the right thing, it's going to turn out right. And your goal is to be the CEO. So you're looking at it. Okay. If I want it to turn out that way, then I have to act right. accordingly in order to be able to attain that goal. And that had a direct impact on your actions. So What changed? What was the the shift? What what happened in in your mind to all of a sudden like shake this whole concept up of Mm -hmm. pursuing results, pursuing that success to now where you're at? Like what where did you start to make some shifts? I think the shifts started,
1: you know, I moved from working in materials management in the hospital and strategic planning and business development. I went into patient advocacy, which took brought me closer to the patient's bedside. Mm -hmm. And Bringing me closer there, that's when I realized the the why of what I was doing. These people are, are in a scary place. Something's going on with them, and they're scared. And I started listening more to the patient and the family and doing the right thing by them. And the ironic piece is that's when I started getting in trouble in the hospitals because I wouldn't do it the way the administrators wanted me to, and and I do recall the second to last hospital I worked at. I was let go. I was fired, and basically, what was written down on things, Drew does his own thing. My own thing was doing right by the patients mm. and the family. It just wasn't the the right thing by my boss. Now, what's what I find ironic is later on, you know, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur now, and and I have finally learned that I don't need to create rules as an entrepreneur, but I would like towards the end of my career in healthcare, not listen to the rules. You know, I was, so I would, I would go rogue hmm. in the hospitals and I, and now as an entrepreneur, I was setting up the rules. So it was kind of weird. I'm kind of like, yeah, <laughs> I think <laughs> I got it. I think I got it shit. straight. Now. Like, <laughs> it was the, I was backwards, but um, I really felt like I had an entrepreneurial brain in an industry that frowned upon that. It's like, Drew, stay in the square. And I have. Yeah.
0: To- well, they're trying to sometimes mitigate risks. And so therefore they have c- systems and procedures and you got to follow these things. And I understand the need for some of that stuff, but then like you just said, you feel like you just lost the humanity. You lost the, do the right thing by the.
1: Yeah, there was a, a lot of it turns into transactional in healthcare now rather than relational because there are mm. a lot of guidelines and understandably so it's it's it can be an unsafe place when complacency comes in yeah but the key thing there was i was i really learned you, you cannot be complacent in any aspect of your life especially when you're in in the hospitals as a caregiver and that's really where it all started to change for me it's just i saw people acting like robots It was like, do this, do that. I have to do this. I have to do that. And they're missing the human element and the connection. And that's when I, said that the last hospital I was at, I got let go there too. Cause again, I did what I thought was the right thing and let go. And I never turned back. I never went back to healthcare.
0: So let me ask you this, because we we talk about narratives and we talk about false versus true narratives Mm -hmm. in aspect, kind of as we work through this, you mentioned earlier that the false narrative you had is to do the right thing and everything's going to turn out Mm -hmm. correctly. And yet you're finding that the core element of who you are is to do the right thing. So help me kind of understand, because it sounds like you're telling me that the false narrative is to do the right thing, but yet the true narrative is do the right thing. So mm-hmm. help me understand how, how to bridge that gap between the two, because it almost seems like it's at odds with each other.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and uh, it, it's more the way that you do the right thing rather than doing the right thing. And I wasn't taught this directly by my parents, but it was more like the outside world that men are, are supposed to suck it up. We're supposed to man up, right? Don't show emotions, just fix it you know, and so, you know, so I, you know, I grew up knowing that I wanted to be a provider, a protector. I also knew I was a sensitive person, wasn't embarrassed to cry, but the reaction of other people, if I did was like, there's no crying in baseball or (laughs) this, you know, so it's like, so it's like, all right, you learn, I learned fast to wipe the tears, suck it up and do that. So most of my adult life was, not asking for help, when, when crisis would hit, shun the support systems and just, just get through it, Drew, just fight it, get through it, be a man, be strong, that kind of thing. And that's what the issue is about doing the right thing, how you do the right thing versus doing the right thing. I mean, I'm always, my integrity will never waver. I do the right thing when no one's watching, but it's how you do the right thing. I, you know, I usually explain that with stories, but, you know.
0: Well, I, I was just going to say, I mean, that's a perfect transition to look into it and say, all right, how do you do the right thing? And so the question that always comes up here is, uh, Drew, how are you creating and crafting your narrative now moving into the future? Mm-hmm. And what legacy yeah. are you leaving behind? Because that that's our narrative. That's the, the narrative that we are writing. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess the question is, how how do you do the, what What methods do you use to do the right thing?
1: Yeah. No, that's, and and I use very different methods now than I did uh, two, three, four years ago. As I say, you know, life is not linear. It's a circuitous path and external circumstances come and get in the way of those letters, A plus B plus C equals D. And we are forced to choose. Now, sometimes we don't realize what's happening to us is a defining moment. We can ignore it. When we are aware and we see something as a defining moment, we have a choice. We can either run away or push through it. And my defining moment really was uh, in July of 2015 when I found out for my best friend, my wife was leaving me. And as I would say, I was blindsided. Uh, men and women think differently. We have to agree on that. And I think it's crucial that each gender learns the thinking language of the other gender. But my wife and I, we, we I, I say we communicated in silence. There was a lot of avoidance just because not not wanting conflict and stuff like that. So that was the start of the whole thing. And then divorce was April of eight, 2018. And then I was fired six months later wow. from that hospital. I reported a HIPAA violation, just not in the timing that my boss wanted. See, I did the right thing. I reported that we lost patient information. She had asked me to wait a couple of weeks and do more research. My ego got in the way and I did the right thing. I could have done the right thing differently. I could have done a little more research. Knowing full well I wasn't going to find more, wait the two weeks, tell her I did my research, she would have said, okay, report it. Anyway, I reported it, and I was fired for was a leadership change. And and since I tied my self-identity to external circumstances, my what I thought about myself was based on my wife and my job, and I lost both in six months. And then 10 days after i lost my job my son had suicidal ideation stemming from the divorce and then my dad unexpectedly got sick and passed away on christmas eve all in a nine month span wow that's when things started to shift because i still went through all that i i didn't want to live anymore but i i I really fought to find clarity of purpose in my life and instead of finding that i needed to live for me i wanted to get help my my parent, my mom, after my dad's death, and my three children get through all this family turmoil. And so I did the right thing helping them get through it. What I didn't do is take care of myself at the same time. So I did all the things that men are supposed to do, suck it up, man up, shun the support systems, no emotion. I helped them get through it. When I got through it, I was empty, man. And mm. and it was at that point that I realized there was a better way to live. I just didn't know how to do it. And then started writing my book and midway writing the book, I woke up and realized that I need to help men stop suffering in silence because I've suffered in silence.
0: And I want to talk about that part of it, but I don't want to skip over this aspect or realization because too many times, especially men, we have that exact philosophy where mm-hmm. we need to help everybody else. We're there to basically give above and beyond what we even have to be able to give. And I don't want to skip over that part of it, especially because of the fact that you were able to look at that and say, well, in one hand, I didn't want to live, but in the other hand, I knew that there was a better way. Mm -hmm. And so you had these two ideas that are kind of going on. So I'm not sure how to ask the question, but I'll just throw it out there in this aspect. One is how did it actually impact where you saw the value? of your life because your mm-hmm. identity now that you rested in was completely gone right from your wife to I mean every all the other things that were going on a lot of trauma right that was your identity and now in essence that identity basically ended up getting buried in mm-hmm. a grave mm-hmm. and now you have to reconstruct and look at your life and say who the who in the world am I going to be who mm. who who am I going to show up as yeah. and, and so there's value there's self confidence there's identity all of those things kind of tied into that mm-hmm. what was that realization like was that like I don't ever want to get up out of bed again. Was it where where did you go? Well, it started with the don't want to get
1: up out of bed again. The thing is though, I knew from being a young kid I always wanted to I love children. I always wanted to have kids. And I was blessed. I I didn't lose all my identity. I was still a father. I mm. was a father to three awesome kids. And I had vowed to be the best father I could be. Now, what kind of father would I be if I gave up? What <laughs> message and lesson would I be teaching two gentlemen and one lady trying to help raise what would I be teaching them if dad gave up? Right. So that was really the strongest piece of the whole thing was Drew, you're a damn good person. You're a good father. You were a good husband. Things just didn't work out. And, you know, I learned that you can recreate, recreate your life every 15 minutes because the past doesn't define us. Uh, and i realized that. that all the stuff that happened you know yes i made choices that ended up with those results but i don't have to be defined by my decisions by the past none, none of that so today starts now you could say that every second today starts now and it really does and so my identity started to get b- building up with with being the best father i could be and then it has now transitioned to the best human being I can be. If I can be, live out of kindness and service, all of a sudden, resentment's gone, regret's gone, all that stuff's gone. I don't know. It, it's something I had to go through. You know, there's purpose in the pain.
0: Yeah.
1: And I know I, I, I'm where I am stronger because of the adversity, not despite it. And, it. and I had to go through all that. And I wouldn't change one second of any of that Yeah. because I wouldn't be here talking to you now. And I won't be, I wouldn't be here being able to help other guy, other men, because I'm getting stronger every day. I'm still a work in progress. He's still. Yeah,
0: but I love that you found the positive. I love that you're, you're taking And You could have chosen to focus on all of the negative things that were going, but then instead, what you said is I'm a good person. I know I am. Mm-hmm. I'm a great father. I know I am and so therefore because I because you have that foundational aspect of who and how you were created I, mm. that's the, that's the positive aspect and focusing on that so what yeah. do you do now what what do you do now to be able to maintain that and mm. maybe it's a habit maybe it's a routine you obviously have found your purpose but what do you do at this point now that you've said I'm going to rebuild and it's a growth process what do you do
1: well throughout this whole transition, I learned that I've been a people pleaser my whole life. And mm. and when you look at people pleasing, the behaviors of people pleasing is often misconstrued as, as being nice. And it's really not about being nice. It's it's manipulative. If you think about when you do everything for everybody, you're pleasing them. Many times you do it because the return you get is you, you feel good. So People pleasers, which I did, I put on a mask all the time because if I wanted Tim to like me and if I acted authentically and Tim didn't like me, well, in order to to get Tim to like me, I have to be different from my authentic self. So I learned how to do that in every aspect. I mean, and it helped to an extent in business because it was like a chameleon. But the thing is, I always prided myself in in being like, what you see is what you get because I always admired those people. Mm. Who they were, I called them a breath of fresh air. It's like yeah. you, what you see is what you get. I admired the hell out of that, and I knew I could be that, and I am that. And I and I think that's what that's what caused me to do what I'm doing now. It's all about authenticity. If if I can get men, because once I started telling my story out loud, I started to heal myself from within, mm. and we all can heal our, ourselves from within. And men don't tell their story. We don't ask for help. We don't show emotion. We keep it inside. Now, if you look at it, everything we're suppressing is toxic, right? It's not meant to be kept inside us. Whether when you cry, you release natural tears. When you share your story or ask for help, you're getting rid of emotional toxins. Yet men are trained to keep all those toxins inside, which is why we're dying a lot younger than women are. Why we're not being able to be around for our women or our children in life. So Hmm. I'm really, I, I work with men to help them define what they want their identity to be because mm. we can do that and once yeah. we know who we are then i work with them to remove all the doubt they have about themselves mm. and usually that is bearing the past saying you know addressing the past saying that doesn't define me it's not who i was i forgive myself f- because i didn't have the tools to make different decisions i'm here now get rid of all that that internal doubt Once you know who you are and you get rid of the doubt, then you can write your own story instead of letting others write it for you. So that's like the process I do for the coaching and for everything else I do. But I I had practice. I I I love love that it
0: combines with your life. Like your work is your life. I mean, like there's two things almost impossible to separate those. You needed
1: that because another narrative that we were, that I believe it's a lie, is work life balance. Mm. Because, you know, 24 hours in a day, let's pretend we're sleeping for eight. You've got you've got 16 more hours, right? And we go to work and we come home, and and to to compartmentalize those completely is, I think it's not smart to do because there are a lot of strengths we have in our personal life that I've seen so many people not be able to take those strengths to work and vice versa.
0: Oh, you're you're preaching, man! I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah,
1: and so and and ironically for me, my my desk where I am now is three feet from the base of my bed mm. so you talk about if 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 you have to compartmentalize work in life uh-uh and why why do it yeah because if i'm if i'm in my professional life helping you tim get over something that's bogged you down for your whole life why can't i use that same stuff for my kids or for myself oh
0: yeah Right. Oh, uh, yeah
1: How many times yep. do you hear people say, "I I don't follow my own advice. I give good advice, people follow it, well, and you then don't, I don't yeah. it,
0: Right. This is the whole thing with the shoemakers' kids are always shoeless. I mean, like that's just <laughs> unfortunately the way it is. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, yeah, but I oh man, there's I, I know for a fact, and I know that you and I we're going to be sharing some stuff in oh, the yeah. future about the work life balance, and I'm kind of excited for that because there's a little plug. So if you don't follow either of us on LinkedIn, you need to because then yeah. you'll hear more about it. But I mean, we're kind of getting to here towards the end of this. Mm-hmm. And I honestly believe that we could potentially record for another 30, 45 minutes just talking about some of these things. Yeah. But we got to wrap it up. So yep. <laughs> here's here's where we're going to go. And what would be, out of all the things that we talked about or possibly something that's on your heart, Yeah. what would be the one thing that you would want somebody to walk away with today from listening to this? What's that one thing? Yeah. Be who you
1: are. And this will sound crass, but don't care what other people think of you. Now, I'm not saying... Don't care about other people. Always care about other people. Don't care what they think about you, about any of your behaviors, your thoughts, and who you are. Because you are who you are. There's always going to be haters in life. There are always going to be people going to try to knock you down. I, I say know your worth and stand your ground.
0: Mm. That, so awesome good stuff. All right. How can they get in contact with you? I know we mentioned social media, LinkedIn, but what yeah. is the best way to get in contact with you?
1: Uh, there are a few ways. I, I would say if you want to talk, email me. We can get you get in my calendar. It's drew, D-R-E-W at profitcompassion.com. Otherwise, you can go to profitcompassion.com. I have a free webinar called uh, Get Over Yourself, how to, how to Use the Caveman Formula to Overcome Self-Sabotage. It's a free webinar. And then I also am a leader of a a men's group called Tribal Stoics, Monday mornings, 10 a.m. Eastern. And that, again, you can find that on on my website, the link to to register. Probably the best way is to reach me.
0: So good. I I mean, like all of this stuff. And I'm excited what we're going to see from you in the future because I know that you're building some things out. and, And this is my plug. I mean, like if you're not listening, following Drew, you need to go follow Drew. Cause uh, again, th- we've only known each other for just a few weeks now, yeah. or maybe a yeah. month or so. And already up. I can tell we're going to, we're definitely going to see some really awesome things coming out of here. So, all right. Again, thanks Drew for being here. Those that are listening. I got to <laughs> You kind of go watch the YouTube channel. <laughs> if you're just listening to the podcast, I understand you are probably driving the car. Don't go do it now. Wait till you get home, but go watch the podcast on, or watch. Yeah. Watch the podcast on YouTube and check it out there. And then I'm going to say this. And I, I, I tend to say this every time, but I, again, I mean this and I, I know from the bottom of my heart. And again, I know from Drew, if something that we said impacted you today, I want you to reach out we don't need you to buy anything. We don't want you to, we're not trying to sell you anything. We're not trying, all we want is to be able to connect and be able to hear your story and hear about the journey that you're taking and the things that you're overcoming. Because again, just like Drew said, it's, we have to talk out our stories in order to start to heal. We've got to talk out those things in order to be able to get rid of some of that toxic aspect. So please, please, please reach out, whether it's through email, through contact on social media, however you do that, make sure you reach out because that is to us the most impactful, fulfilling aspect of everything that we do. So again, Thank you, Drew. I mean, until next time, until the next one, next story, next journey comes out, keep crafting, keep writing your narrative and man, just live life to the fullest. So we'll see you guys. Thanks for listening to today's show. But before you go, let me ask you a question. How would you like to be the author of your story? Take the next step now at www.narrative.live and enter your details to connect with a community of others just like you that are tired of living under the false narrative. Finding your true story and writing your narrative, it will give you clarity, freedom of your day, and it just might change your life forever.